Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, everybody. Hope y'all are staying cool here in this Alabama summertime heat. And before we get started, I do have a small confession to make. I'm not in the studio right now. I've actually snuck out for a little quick fishing vacation. So I'm breaking out an interview that we did a while back with John Gear and TJ from Tenkara USA. If you haven't heard of Tenkara yet, you're in for a treat. Uh, we've talked a good bit about fly fishing this summer on the podcast, and especially fly fishing in small waterways for panfish and red-eyed bass. And I know a lot of Alabama guys share my love for those species, and I can tell you that Tenkara fishing is a great way to fish for them. Uh, I've had a lot of fun this year learning how to Tenkara fish, and I had a lot of fun recording this special episode. John and TJ are really good folks, and they're super knowledgeable about Tenkara. So y'all check it out, and we'll be back next week with our regular report. All right, so we're here today. We got John all right, so we're here today. We got John Gear and TJ from Tenkara USA. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing very well, thank you. Awesome. Good to hear. And John, you were just telling me your family is from Biloxi? Well, so they weren't from there. They my my folks when they retired, they started spending their winters in Biloxi. Gotcha. Um I grew up in Illinois. That's where my folks were both from and then kind of had a lot of my dad actually was originally from Missouri Ozarks. And they moved back to that region after they retired. And then in the winters, they started going to Biloxi. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I grew up there. I lived in Virginia for a few years. I lived in Colorado for a few years. And I've lived in Montana for the last 20 years. Awesome. And that's where awesome. I'm at. Mm-hmm. What, what about you, TJ? Where, where are you from? I'm on the opposite side of the world from you guys. I'm in Northern California. Don't mistake that with Southern California. You know, they, sometimes folks will think, oh, he's an L.A. Hollywood boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Northern now, California, up in the mountains where we have a lot of wonderful Tinkara rivers uh, and a lot of fishing. California is a pretty awesome state in terms of natural resources and the rivers and the waterways. So, yeah, Northern California for me for since 1972. And before that, I lived in Rhode Island. So I did live back east until I came out here to California. Okay. Well, the good. Then that's awesome. So we've got between the three of us. We've we've kind of seen all of the state from the deep south up the northeast coast out to the Midwest, west, all all the way west till you just about come back around east again. So that's good. Yeah, um, and the nice thing is we do a lot of and have over the 14 years in business introducing Tenkar to the United States and other countries. Uh, we've done a lot of trade shows. So we've had the luxury of fishing in a lot of different areas of the United States, this method of fishing. Absolutely. If you're traveling on the company dime, you got to bring a rod and reel. Or in right. y'all's case, you just bring a rod. Right. Oh, just bring ourselves. We have plenty. <laughs> yeah, there we <laughs> go. Is, uh, got tons of stuff. There we yeah. go. Well, kind of give me the, just the elevator pitch. Tell me tell me about Tenkara USA. 
So Tankara USA introduced in 2009 Tankara f- style of fishing to outside of Japan. Originally, Tankara was a Japanese method of fly fishing, um, it, it predominantly and al- almost exclusively used on mountain streams in Japan. Um, you saw some little bit of variation, people playing around with different stuff there. Um, but uh, our founder, Daniel Gallardo, introduced that. He, he did a trip to Japan, to a family trip. His wife is Japanese-American. And uh, uh, anyways, he, he yeah, he, he discovered it there, fell in love with it, thought he had to like make it available outside of Japan and uh, and started the company. And we've been running with that ever since. So, awesome. yeah, this dates back to 2008 when he did the trip. So we officially brought it over and introduced this method in 2009. We're the original. Right. First. There's now a half a dozen to a dozen other people that make 10 car rods. They're not affiliated with us or part of mm-hmm. us. We all have our own thing. We just happen to be the original one that introduced this to the United States. A lot of places back 2009. Okay. Well, give me in broad strokes then. What is 10 car anyway? What is what is 10 car fishing? So 10 car is a fixed line fly fishing system. So there's no reel. There's no line like coming up through the blank like you do in some like like bluegill rods or stuck crappie rods and stuff like that. The, we fish a fixed line attached directly to the tip of a, of a telescoping rod that's really long when extended, but very short when collapsed. So it's super portable. Um, we cast our line a lot like a regular fly line. We make a, a back cast and a forward cast. It's a little different. There's some little differences in the nuance of casting both, but uh, but it's a really super effective a very precise and delicate method to use on mountain trout stream fishing. Um, but since we've introduced it here, uh, a lot of us have been doing it. And even if that's our favorite, which it's my favorite use of Tankara, we've certainly had a lot of fun using it on places like bluegill ponds and, and uh, 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 warm water, small warm water streams for like smallmouth and, and oh, like, like Guadalupe Bass in Texas is one of my more fun trips that I've done, you know? So, so like, um, so there's a lot of great applications for it originally mountain trout train, mountain trout streams, but, uh, anything within reason, any fish within reason is a lot of fun to catch on a tankara rod. I gotcha. Well, and, and this is, I'm, I'm asking questions mainly for Mm -hmm. the listeners, um, so I know the answer to this question because I, I have some some Brembusters. I have some of the old B&M crappie poles, and I've got fly rods, and, and I've got 10 car rods. But for, for people looking at it for the first time, and they look at it, it, it looks like a crappie pole. So what's, what's the mm-hmm. difference between a $20 Brembuster at the Bass Pro versus a 10 car rod? It's it's and- kind of the same as like a... Uh, like a real inexpensive Snoopy rod and, and like a Loomis bass rod. Uh, <laughs> like, 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 I mean, seriously, that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of exactly what it is. I mean, the, the rods are designed to be cast like a fly rod. So it's they yeah, they have a superficial resemblance to the, like a brim buster. I grew up fishing stuff like that too. And what we like about, it, or what we like to think is it brings some of the simplicity and fun of that kind of fishing, which is, is fun. I mean, it's fun to catch people going on a brim buster. So, and, and, but then it's kind of more refined, like fly fishing, like the, the tapers of the rods, the weight of the rods is much less than like most of your telescoping uh, rods that we use for like, like sunfish and crappie and that kind of thing. So, so um, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's a, there's a lot more design that goes into them. I think I'm biased, but I, I mean, they're, they're certainly lighter. And, and I, and I think there's more that goes into the design of making them really cast well, as opposed to like something like, Hey, to, I don't want to rag on brim busters. Cause I think they're cool, but, uh, oh, I, I have, but it's just yeah, a different thing. Some. It's just, it's just like you, you know, like 
like I grew up in the bass fishing world and like Loomis were like the, the primo rods that guys used and like, but you could get something cheaper and you could do stuff with it, but it, you know, there's, they're just nicer. Yeah. yeah and a Tegmar rod is also designed from the ground up to cast a exactly. very lightweight line considered to any of those other type of crappie rods and a fly that weighs nothing. The whole right. glory of traditional Tenkara mountain stream fishing, trout fishing is to keep the line off the water. To do that, you need a very lightweight line to do that compared mm-hmm. to what you would normally be doing with one of those cheap $20 rods. So these are right. truly designed to cast, keep the line off the water, which in the world of fly fishing is something that you want to achieve for catching just tons of more right. fish. Yeah. Sure. And do it kind of effortlessly. I mean, we've heard of people using other rods and you putting them into the role of tinkar and it kind of works, but it, it's just they're designed for it. So yeah. it's, it's, I, I can I can testify. So when I started dipping my toe into Tenkara, uh, I had a Brambuster, so I've put some fly line on it mm-hmm. and you can do that thing. But but then I've graduated to the point where I just had it showed up in the mail today, actually. And uh, I snuck away for lunch. I've got a Kurenai, one of the, the, the 390 centimeter model. And it is like you were saying, it's like comparing a Zebco 33 to a Shimano Corrado. They both technically do the same thing. They're both technically fishing reels, but mm-hmm. yes, there's a huge difference when you're casting right. a number number three Tenkara mm-hmm. level line on one. Uh, it's right. It's right. It casts itself on a rod that's meant to do it. So right. sure, sure, awesome. Well, with with that out of the way, so no, it's not a brumbuster. Although, like you said, it is fun. What what's the? I, I guess you were talking about for appropriately sized fish. What what's mm-hmm. an appropriately sized fish for a ten car rod? Is this something we can go out like I've got? And you talked about fixed line fishing. So I've I've mm-hmm. run a uh, ditty poles on the river and limb lines. We just had a, a limb line uh, guy here on the podcast, and you know we were catching eighty pound blue cats. And I'm imagining that may be a little bit outside of what was swimming in those mountain streams in Japan when they. Yeah, that would be way outside. Um, yeah. So the way I, I always begin to answer that question is, is basically all of our rods, we recommend that you fish with tippet, you know, the inline to your, your fly with seven pounds of brake strength or less. Okay. And that's, that's, and that's to protect the rod from breaking on the fish. And that's going to be your limiting factor. Usually that equates to like, and we have different rods that are stiffer and you can probably fudge on that quite a bit more, but like usually when you start we're talking about trout, cause that's, that's what we're based in. Um, I think when you start getting too much over 20 inches, like it's, it starts to become a thing. I mean, we've seen like 26 inch trout landed with our rods. Uh, I just, if that's the normal fish you're catching, I probably wouldn't recommend a 10 car rod, but right. most trout fishing up to like 18, 20 inches is very doable. I can think of exceptions to that. Cause I always say it's not the size of the fish in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the fish. So like here in Montana, like fish on the Missouri typically fight harder than fish on the Madison do for whatever reason. Um, So it's harder to land a 20 inch fish on the Missouri than it is on the Madison. But, uh, but in general, like, like pretty, pretty good sized trout. So yeah, it's, and it's fairly similar with bass with bass. If, if they get big, the hard thing, you know, sometimes it becomes an issue turning them out of cover. So, um, so that's why we definitely recommend like rods with more, our, our models with more backbone, if you are targeting bass and stuff like that is because it's nice to have a little bit more, you can put the wood to them a little bit more. So, yeah. And on the opposite spectrum. So we've been around for 14 years now. So there's people been pushing the limits of these rods for a long time. Mm -hmm. We typically tell them to go out and have fun. Mostly 
Our rods for Tenkara USA do have a lifetime warranty. Yep. Each and every segment is user replaceable. They all come out the back handle easily for you to maintain, clean them, replace them should you break something. We've got one particular customer down in Los Angeles for all, uh, and you wouldn't think, oh, great fishing down there, but he goes after big carp that are 10 pounds. Yeah. And we, we, know. we yeah. set his expectations. We said that the Amago, for example, is one of his one of our go-to rods for bigger. I think fish. that's his go-to rod for big carp still. Yeah. He likes the Satoki, but the Amago's a little bit stronger still. Yeah. And once a year he'll typically call up and need a component, but he realizes that he's pushing it well beyond the limitations of it. But the warranty is really second to none. We have all the parts here in the United mm -hmm. States. Should something break, you call you're talking to John or myself and we send you out the part. You replace it and you're back up and going again. So go out there and have fun. But yeah, it's not for steelhead salmon, huge fish. I got gotcha. you. Probably, probably not something to catch 40-pound bull reds on then. No, not bull reds. <laughs> I'll tell you, I I, uh, I mentioned Biloxi. We, there was an abandoned yacht base in there that we used to fish. I used to fish with my folks when they were still alive. And and uh, I was trying to replicate like a, a, a shrimp and a popping cork. And right. I had like a little like 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 a clouser minnow, which is a I'm sure you know a clouser minnow if you fish saltwater with fly rod. Um, and and I had that below like a uh, it was a small one, and I had that below like a big strike indicator, which is very much not traditional tankara. That's right. not we don't really design our rods for that. But I was fishing the imago, and I caught a bunch of small sea trout stuff like that. I don't think I caught any baby reds or anything like rat reds or anything like that. But uh, right. um, and I was a little scared because my dad did catch in that that most of the fish he caught in there were real small. Uh, my dad spin fishing, not not with Tenkara, even a fly rod. He caught a nice red in there one time that you know shocked everybody. Like happens it would happen like once a year or something like that. So yeah, well, and and like you were talking about, you know, what would be the equivalent of of seven pound test on your tippet? You can land a big fish, like you can land a lot bigger fish than seven pounds on seven right. pound test. Uh, you, if you, if you know what you're doing and have open water and, and either good with a net or got a guy with you who can net fish, like there's a, uh, right. I've, I've landed some bass fishing with bluegill tackle and, and two pound test. And I've, I've landed some three and four pound bass on it. Not something <laughs> I wouldn't go out to go do that thing necessarily. Right. But, it um, but yeah, we've always it joked that the way to do that with a tin car rod would be to fish from a stand up paddle board. And then yeah. just, just go for a ride, you know. Hey, like, hey, like you, you, you jest, so. but uh, one of our riders, Ed Mashburn, he he does a lot of fishing out of a kayak. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's a thing now. Stand-up oh, paddle yeah. boards, I expected them to blow up the same way kayaks did, and they don't quite seem like they've gotten there. I don't know why, because, yeah, like like they make models now that are set up with shallow water anchors and stuff yeah. like that. Like they look awesome for flats fishing. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually looking at them the other day. <laughs> I was. I know it's almost embarrassing to admit, isn't it, that you're looking yeah, at yeah, that paddleboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like down, the mopeds of kayaks? You don't want to be seen on one, but they're heck of fun to ride. I, so I can't speak for everywhere, but I think yeah. down here, what kind of killed the image for you know rugged, manly sportsmen such as ourselves is there's a uh, there's groups that that do yoga on them. You know, like sunset yoga classes oh, yeah. and stuff. I've on seen them. it. Yeah, we used to do a big. Yeah. There's a big show. It's just called Outdoor Retailer, and like it's just all outdoor brands and shops and everything, and it's a big trade show. And yeah, they used to have a. I remember when when stand up paddle boards just started. They, they had, uh, or not just started, but they were pretty new. This was seven, yeah. eight years ago. Yeah, they had they had yeah. ladies out there doing yoga. Yeah, that that kind of, you know, not that there's anything wrong with, with doing yoga. Um, right. 
but I think most most of like that overlap, right? If you drew that Venn diagram of guys who do yoga and guys who fish, I don't think it's a very big overlap. There's not a ton of overlap, but I definitely know some exceptions to that. <laughs> I, yes, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. So, and kind of talking about that, like, like, and I'm totally joking about everything that we're saying, just having a little bit of fun. But as as far as that little bit of embarrassment to buying a stand-up paddleboard, there seems to be, and I haven't dove too deeply into it, so maybe y'all can explain to me. There seems to be the guys that I've talked to who fly fish, they're always polite and friendly and civil. But when I mentioned that I started fly fishing and and then at some point in the conversation, it's like, well, I have a 10 car rod. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I told them, well, I bass fish and my favorite bass row is a Zebco 33. Like there seems right. to be some sort of feeling that, that that's fly fishing with training wheels. What's, what's y'all's thoughts on that? I think that a lot of those people, one, they don't have a real thorough understanding of Tankara. Um, the people I know that have given it a little legitimate shot, even if they're not into it, are not as quick to poo-poo it, you know? And frankly, I mean, and I've been fly fishing for, I'm 40, almost 48. I've been fly fishing for uh, since I was a little kid. So over 40 or probably 40 ish years now. And, and it's always been kind of an elite sport. I don't know how to, sh- you know, I mean, there, there's always sure. a fair element of that. Like, and there's a lot of guys out there that, and there's nothing wrong with this. They're proud of it's, it's not easy to get good at fly fishing and it's something that people work towards. And if they perceive that something is taken away from that, they get defensive or they get dis- dis- sure. defensive or dismissive of things. And I, and there's nothing wrong with, in fact, I strongly encourage people to work to get better at things just for the sake of working to get better at things. But, uh, and fly fishing is a really cool vehicle for that. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think they're being a little close-minded, obviously again, I'm biased, but like, it's, it's a really fun way to fish. It has its own challenges that are unique to fly fishing. And there's, and I would say, you know, when I started Tinkara, I had 20 years of fly fishing experience and and uh, I learned things, you know, because it's a different way to approach the water. It's a different kind of tackle. And there's things that I did and I still Western fly fish. I love to fish, period. I like to spin fish and everything. Yeah. So, um, so it, it uh, uh, you learn things that cross over and, and it goes back the other ways too. You know, we've seen the reverse of that in the Tinkara community where the sort of bounce back from that is there's some tinker anglers that think you should never touch another kind of rod and everything. And I don't really, I respectfully disagree with that. You know, like it's, it's, uh, um, I think you can learn from a lot of different kinds of fishing if you're open to it. Uh, yeah. One interesting thing, since we've been doing trade shows from the earliest of days, uh, fly fishing show circuit, you can imagine a, the new guy, Tenkar USA being the first company having this booth. And you would think that uh, you would have a lot of issues. Believe it or not, some of the shows and the early shows, our booths were the hottest around because people never heard of this method. And a lot of people are very much open-minded. And there's always going to be a few that see a particular way, and that's fine. They have their own beliefs. But we've had quite a few interesting fly fishing, uh, very popular folks in fly fishing world that have looked at it a little closer. And one of the biggest benefits uh, of Tenkara is again to keep the line off the water and in a mountain stream and you don't want to mend all day Tenkara is the perfect way to do that and in in my opinion the best way to do it because you're not putting mm-hmm. line on the water even with a traditional fly rod and a somebody that casts one of those rods all day long the second they see us cast to a little pool or a little eddy far across the stream without line on the water and we could put a fly and it can stick there for a long time that fly mm-hmm. fisherman starts thinking, going, my gosh, that is 
the perfect situation for Tenkara. I see it now. So they start opening their minds a little bit to it. And as soon as some of the right. names started seeing that, they quickly saw, okay, there is some truly benefits to Tenkara. Uh, and, but like anything else, you'll still have a few and just depends on what neck of the woods they're in and what they're used to. They might right. not still see it, but like John said at the beginning, they may just not have seen yet the true side of what Tenkara rods can do. And seeing it is a good way to put it, TJ, because I think one of the things, too, that probably does put some people off is there's perception that Tenkara is just dapping. That's something we've kind of fought against for a long time. And I think that, there, you know, the aesthetic aspect of fly fishing is important to most of us, myself included, but whether it's Tenkara or Western fly fishing. And I think there's this perception that you're just dunking the fly down and you're losing all that grace of the casting and, and everything like and, and the the sort of precision of that and and the and the sort of uh, fulfillment of that if you're the one doing it. And and I think that that's a misconception that people have. I mean, Tenkara to me is is one of the most, it's one of the prettiest ways to fish. It's so elegant and refined for its environment. And, um, and a, like I said, originally that environment is mountain streams. It can be that refined in other things as well, but mountain streams is really where it shines. So, um, and I think when people see it in its environment, I think it starts to make a lot more sense and they don't look at it as such a, if they have an open mind, especially, they don't look at it as such like just a just like a kid's way to fish or something like that. Yeah, so, sure, but. sure. All right, folks. I hope y'all are enjoying listening to John and TJ as much as I enjoyed talking to them. Let's take a quick break and hear from one of this week's sponsors, and we'll get right back to it. This week's episode has been brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. If you own a pond or lake anywhere in the Southeast, Southeastern Pond Management can evaluate the health of your pond and then work with you individually to put together the right plan to get what you want out of your body of water. Through electrofishing, liming, fertilizing, and stocking and weed control, Southeastern Pond Management is the one-stop shop to help you produce more healthy trophy fish than ever before. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or email info at southeastpond.com. And by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoon boats, to bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessories staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. L&M Marine is located six miles north of I-10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251-937-1380. So that may give us a good segue into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of this conversation. So here in Alabama, we're very blessed. We have a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. um, you know, because we're, we're coastal. So our waterways start all the way up in kind of the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, the Tennessee River, and then they kind of come down through the state and you go from kind of rocky to hilly all the way down to where I am, where it's kind of swampy and beachy. So we have big, big wide rivers with big barge traffic, that sort of thing. We've got little saltwater bays, but then we've also got up in Little River Canyon, we've got, you know, some some really, you know, technical waterways if you're under whitewater rafting or canyoneering, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So 
And you talked about how tin car was originally made for small mountain streams. And something that I've been circling around just personally is getting into red eye bass fishing. Are y'all familiar with red eye bass down here? So is that, there was just, there's a, there's a fly, there's a great Facebook page, uh, fly fishing for panfish that our friend Bart Lombardo runs. There was a big debate on there about if that's the same fish as a goggle eye or a rock bass or what there's that. I think that species yeah. has different names in different parts of the country. So, yeah. and there's a lot of species that are real close, but they aren't the same thing. And I'm no expert on that. I grew up, we called them goggle eye, what I was catching. It's not a goggle eye, although I've caught okay. goggle eye too. And that, that's okay, kind cool. of a, a forte for, for me is, is lepomids and, and then rock bass and stuff like that. Panfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love fishing for panfish, but a, uh, no, a, if, if I'm not mistaken, so, so we had on a podcast, we had Matt Lewis, uh, at Auburn University, who's actually the guy who literally wrote the book on red eye bass fishing in Alabama. And he cool. has been part of getting all the different, they found out that what they call red eye bass is actually, I think now they're up to seven species where you have a separate species for each waterway, which is really cool. And we have going back to the diversity in Alabama, we have, I think, 450 or more recognized species of, of freshwater fish. So, and, and it's guys like Matt who help keep help, they help us keep track bump of up all the that. list. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. keep track of it. So, but that those these fish they're odd that they kind of bridge the gap between bass fishing and trout fishing so we don't have mm-hmm. a native trout population in alabama um, right. you got to go up into t- tennessee and kentucky and, and the carolinas to get into that down here and i think maybe georgia um we yeah, talked georgia's with, got some pretty good trout fishing actually yeah we well and we we stock them here in a couple places we stock rainbow trout and we've got one year-round trout fishery where they do a deep water pull from a dam and they can keep them year-round right. but these red-eye bass or they, I think they top out at about 12 inches usually, but it's a black bass, okay. but they have evolved to live in those mountain streams. Like you think black bass as being rivers, lakes, sluggish water. These are fish that have, they chose to go a different way and live in those higher grade streams. So they, mm-hmm. they're similar to trout. It's like a bass that eats bugs like a trout does or that like a That sounds like a perfect tankara fish to me, honestly. Okay, like, good, good. Yeah. So this this conversation is getting even better for me personally. Right. So and, and just to like, if, if you don't mind me saying real quick, so it sounds kind of similar to the experience. Like, so I fished not as much as I'd like, but some in the Texas Hill Country and mm-hmm. they have uh, Guadalupe bass there, which are a little bigger than that. But they kind, they're kind of trout. Well, smallmouth are kind of trout like. I don't know that the Guadalupe yeah. bass are any more trout like than smallies. But I think small warm water streams in general, because I have fished a fair amount of those in in Illinois and and Missouri Ozarks and and uh, Texas Hill Country, and and I think that's a wonderful application for tenkara. Personally, I mean, I really enjoy that personally. Yeah. So, well, yeah. well, let's let's go then. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this conversation. We'll we'll kind of start up there, and we'll kind of follow the stream, I guess, all the way down here to my area. And and I'd okay. like to hear you guys, since you're the experts, weigh in. I'm going to pitch you a scenario, and then I'd like to hear what would be your recommendations if I wanted to go buy a ten car rod to go do that thing. So let's start with I want to go, and and you guys may not be familiar, but my local listeners they will be. If I wanted to go up to DeSoto State Park or Little River Canyon and fish that area, um, I'll describe it to you. You're talking a mountain stream. I mean, it really looks like the typical trout stream. It just doesn't get cold enough to have trout. You're talking something that when the water's low, you could jump across it. Waterfalls, rocky bottoms, 
clear water, blue-green water. The pools get kind of blue-green, and a pool is maybe the size of a suburban backyard. Um, so we're talking technical areas, the trails that they have to go down there. Some of it you can just hop out of your car and walk down to, but for the most part, you dive off into the canyon. And it's kind of a thing getting down and more of a thing getting back up. A lot of it's not really very accessible mm-hmm. unless you're pretty spry and, and comfortable with that type of terrain. So if, if I wanted to go hit that, and I think you would mainly be looking at red-eye bass and, and long-eared sunfish, some spotted bass. But these are this is really small water, really technical, hard-to-access terrain. Once you get into it, you, you've got casting room, you know, because it's rocky. It's not really brushy and weedy like the rest of the state. But what would be telling you all of that, saying, okay, well, I want to go do that thing. What's a 10-car rod for me? Well, I'm going to take that one, John, and then you You take certainly can. I imagine we're going to say the same thing anyway, so. Yeah. So I, myself, we have seven rods, and, and a number of them are adjustable, or what we call zoom rods. Zoom rod means that you can fish them in multiple links. You don't have to just fully open it up. So if it's not a zoom rod, you have to fully open it up and, and cast it full length. In some applications, if you're changing from a jump over size that you just mentioned to a pool that's the size of a normal backyard, which is not really that, you know, you're still talking 40, 50 feet, it sounds like in a pool. An adjustable rod, I think, would be a benefit because you can fish it shorter for those smaller needs and then fully opened up when you get to that big pool. So I myself, and they're really not that much more in terms of cost. Our rods range from $160 to $260. Uh, so very inexpensive. And I would say one of the adjustable models for some water like that would probably be good. Like the Sato. We've been selling the Sato for nine years, 10 years now. It's adjustable, roughly 10 and a half, 11 and a half and 12 and a half foot. Those three links are really pretty optimal. A jack-of-all-trades rod, the Sato, would probably be one of the ones we would point someone to. Technically, Mm -hmm. any of the rods can work, but I think in that case, an adjustable would be a really good thing. And I would add, we have another model that if it gets a little brushier and the fish top out at 12 inches, and they they fight kind of like a largemouth or smallmouth or... I, I can't tell you. I've never caught one. It's high on my list of things to do this oh, summer. Okay, but, I got you. But, well, but my, my understanding from talking to Matt is that, yeah, it's basically like, um, and you mentioned that, that different fish fight different in different bodies of water. So my understanding, they top out, it's like a 12-inch bass, but it's not like a 12-inch bass that grew up in your warm water duck pond. You know, this is right. a mountain stream fish, so he's got a little extra oomph to him. Right. I still think, so if you wanted to, if you, if you, if you were someone who was like a big ultralight enthusiast, we have a rod called the Roto that was originally developed for real t- tight brook trout streams in the Appalachians. Um, but I, I think that it would be fine for that environment as well. But it's it's shorter. It's 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 the same type of design that TJ talked about. It's an adjustable rod, but its maximum length is 10 and a half feet. Um, and so like you were saying, you could jump across the stream in a lot of places. If it's that small and you wanted something real like that might be a fun environment for that rod. But the Sato is probably going to be more productive. So just because the longer you fish tank car, the more you want that reach. So okay. Yeah, the nice thing is you can actually use short lines. Since it sounds like you've used level lines before, that's a nice thing. So people always think you have to have tons of line. You don't. So you can take a little bit longer rod into a situation where you can use a shorter level line with three foot of tippet. So the total line is a foot less than the rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's perfect for really tight situations where you need that control. Well, talking talking about tight stuff. So 
and this is this is most of the creeks in the southeast. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go fish, you know, if you had on your on your hunting lease or in your you know kind of a rural backyard, the back forty, you know, the cow pond that that runs through it, or the the, the creek that runs through your your cow pasture, talking. A little black water creek, and I'm sure you know if you've seen Mississippi, you know these creeks are yeah. brushy. Like they're I was, not. I haven't fished too many of them in Mississippi, but I always wondered about them. We drive over them. So, they yeah. they are hard to fish. So if you have something that was really tight quarters, mostly mm-hmm. catching you know pan fishing situations like this. But like I was in a creek like this the other day, fishing it out of my John boat, and I barely had enough room in a 14 foot John boat to get in and turn around and maneuver. Mm-hmm. But you've got the potential to catch. You know, small channel cats, you've got the potential. I caught some pickerel. You got the potential. You're going to run into some bass. They're probably not huge. But just as far as like a multi-species rod for really tight quarters, what would be your recommendation? And and think brushy, like not a lot of casting room. The rotos are shortest rod. So that would probably, unless the fish are, it should handle small bass and even small. I've never caught a catfish on one. I think I have caught a catfish on a Tinkara, but I can't remember when. So maybe I'm just imagining things, but, but anyway, I think the rota would probably be fine if it's real tight. That's, that's the rod we kind of designed for that. So, um, but the Sada would still probably be a good choice if you would just probably fish it a little bit shorter. If you're getting into a little bit larger bass and catfish on those creeks, since I haven't fished them, I'm not hundred percent, you know, different people have a different size of scale, but if, if they're getting bigger, we just, we released a new rod last year called the Satoki and, uh, um, or late last year, early this year. And, and, uh, uh, it's kind of like the saddle, but a little beefier. So that that might be the one that you know I would recommend. So. One thing I didn't catch this water that you're going to is it clear water or weedy with tons of stuff all over the place. I would I would say so. It kind of runs the gamut. Some of our like if you get into the, the like Florida black water down here all the way on the coast, it's sandy and it's not as weedy. But I'd say predominantly throughout most of Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, Georgia, all that. Most of these areas are going to be weedy and have some structures, some falling down trees, cypress knees, stuff like that. Yeah, is it so the yes, everything down here is snaky. Yes. Yeah, I figured it was snaky. Yeah. Yes. The one thing That's- you don't want to do with a 10 car rod and some, you know, bass type of rods and other rods, you're okay lifting a fat fish out of the water. If you watch kayak fishing shows, you see them lift things right. out and grab for the fish. With Tenkara, the tips are relatively thin. They're designed for castability and for trout in mind. So you don't want to wrench some fat fish out of the water. Yeah, that's a real good point. Because mm-hmm. you can fling the little guys. But if they're too big and you're pulling up that all that weight on a Tenkara rod with a light tip, not a great idea. So it depends on the size of the fish if you're yeah, in the area. You really want to finish landing a fish with a tin car rod by hand lining in the fish, the last, you know, the last stage of landing it. You really don't ever want to like lift the fish into a boat or net or something like that with just the rod. Um, Cause they're not, they don't have a lot of lifting power the way like a, a you know, a, a spinning rod or, or bait casting rod or something like that would. So, or even a heavy fly rod. Awesome. Well, that's, I'm glad that y'all brought that up. That was on my outline. That was in the FAQs is how do you land a fish with a tin car rod? And yeah, I, I found that out. I've I've hooked. I think the biggest bass I've caught so far is I've got a uh, I had a Mizuchi, and I landed one that was like three and a half pounds of black bass. And talk about a uh, like oh, to yeah. go from to go from catching panfish, and you're like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. Like the smaller ones, you know, I could swing those in, you know, like I was used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched him come up, and right before he hit that fly, I was like, ooh, I hope he doesn't. First time I've ever been like, oh no, don't do that. And he did. He took it. And just instinct, I set the hook, and it was uh, 
it's a bit of rodeo really yeah uh, like you it definitely makes a, a small fish that's not a very big fish three three pound bass not a stud but uh right that's not how it well, felt to me more rod, it's it's a it's a challenging it, fish and, oh, and that yeah. kind of goes back to what i said about tankar has its own challenges um yeah. that that you know that's part of it i think yeah. i've learned a lot about playing fish through tankara yeah i did not have a net and i wished i had a net but i ended up in that snaky warm water to get him and i knew i couldn't get him there was kind of a weed line and i knew i'm like there's no way if he gets up in those weeds he's gonna bury himself so i ended up wading waist deep to go go, go land him try to lip him and yeah i can Get a net. If you fish with a 10 car rod, get a net. You're going to want one. Well, yeah. I fish without a net a lot, but mostly for smaller fish. If When you start getting into any size at all, it's really nice to have a net. So, but. Well, hand lining is kind of one of the fun parts of 10 car for some yeah. of us because it's another art in itself. So yeah. not only do you get to experience fly fishing in the play of the fish and letting the rod work for you, you not for it, hand lining becomes a fun factor because there's a little tango a little knowledge of how to grip the line. So, for example, I don't know if this will come through on the on the, the video, but as you're grabbing, a lot of people are going to grab for the line this way. And typically mm-hmm. with fly fishing, you don't supposed to grab the line, but Tenkara, you're grabbing line this way, but it's actually better to come from it at this way yeah. and then pull in. There's a certain art and dance to it that's very, when you do it right, it's like a good golf shot if you play golf. I don't, and I've played golf before and i've had one great golf shot it felt good and it feels good when you hand line a fish in properly it's a nice dance and it's fun to do i I always tell people to keep their hands soft like when jerry rice used to catch football you know like like it just (laughs) it's kind of like you you want to be secure with the line but you you don't want to like you don't want hands of steel you know you have there has to be some give built in there and you have to be able to like release the line and take it back in as you need to for with the fish. Like yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. The more of it you do, like I love hand line, just what TJ said. I love hand lining fish. I think it's a big part of the fun. So Yeah. All right, guys, I know you want to hear more from John and TJ, but let's take a quick minute and check out some of the businesses that keep this show free for you. This week's episode has been brought to you by fish bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs using traditional scent strips for pompano or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Family owned and operated in St. Augustine, Florida, they pride themselves on making reliably consistent fishing products for anglers of all ages all around the world. Fish Bites baits and lures are made with pride in the Sunshine State here in USA. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Going from the little small creeks kind of the mountain headwaters such as we have down here that is down here like like gunnersville bass capital of the world like martin's like jordan pickwick lake on the tennessee river everything down the chattahoochee you follow and places like that like bass is king here in the deep south so let's say whether it's everybody down here they dig bass ponds i know that's kind of a local southeastern phenomenon uh, the private bass pond uh, everybody who's got a low acreage, everything down here holds water so well that it's, it's nothing, not very expensive to dig a pond and stock it. So if, if somebody wanted to go and either hit their granddaddy's bass pond or if they just wanted to go try somewhere on, on the Alabama, Chattahoochee, Tennessee River, Tom Bigby, whatever, like big open water. If somebody wanted to fly fish for black bass and there's there's guys down here that do it. Peter Jordan uh, was on the podcast here a while back and, and that's he's from Selma, Alabama, and he cut his teeth with black bass. What would be your go to bass rod? I would say for Amago, something that's bigger, longer rod like our Amago 
the new Satoki we just came out with, or the Edo. Those are our yeah. three longest rods. So if you've got a lot of room, always the longer the better for leverage, for castability, for distance. Mm -hmm. I myself, for when I play in ponds here in Northern California, and the bass don't get super large, but you know they they could be a foot and a half sometimes, which is a pretty good sized bass, a number of pounds. I like a long rod. Uh, Amago has been one that's been proven for a long time if you don't need the zoom ability. But if you need a zoom rod to do multiple, then I would say for me, the Satoki. I really like it for that jack-of-all-trades rod. That's and, and I would say big water for big bass, like especially like, I mean, when you start talking bass, like in the several pounds range, you know, like four or five pounds getting bigger than that. And I know you'll have bass that size and bigger. Oh, that yeah. does start to push the envelope of Tenkara. You know, like you're, you're pr getting pretty far away from – what the rods were designed for at that point and you can do it i've caught some nice bass on mine but not huge and it's it's but i my rod recommendations if you're going to try it are the same as tj's so the, the imago and satoki would be the two but and it can be i love bass fishing with the tankara rod but like so my local pond has smallmouth that top out at maybe like 18 inches mm. and and that's a good fight on a tankara rod so yeah um, but yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and then let's let's go. So going from the rivers all the way out into the little bays down here, let's say that uh, somebody wanted to really push the envelopes of Tinkar fishing and say that they wanted to go out there and catch. And and I say we, we've got like down here, uh, specks are a big thing, speckled trout. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, people go out here and, and kayak fish for speckled trout, trout along the docks. You know, I've been up in the flats catching not just uh, reds like we we're talking about, you know, because there's... Everybody wants to catch a big bull red, but any red fish is, is a fun fish to catch. And uh, any any drum, you know, just, mm -hmm. just regular old gray drum down here is is a fun mm -hmm. fish to catch. If you're out there on the flats, you know, early early in the morning out there listening to the blackbirds in the grass and kind of getting a little hint of that sea breeze. If somebody wanted to get out on their kayak or on their little micro skiff or stand-up paddleboard, if they got done with their morning yoga routine and they wanted to go catch them some, <laughs> some saltwater fish, what's, what's your big guns? Yeah. It would still be the Imago and the Satoki. That's where okay. they top out at. So, and and I I fished in Mississippi with the Tinkara rod for small uh, speckled trout, mm -hmm. and I caught small speckled trout with it. But but we're the first like it's kind of like the same thing as the salmon and steelhead. It's it's we really right. don't design rods for that. Um, but you, I mean, I'm like I've caught small specks on mine. So and I think man, it's been a while, but I want to say I caught like a teeny tiny black drum too. But it, yeah. I mean, he was like so small, like. Uh, you know, you can count it if you want to, but, uh, sure, uh, but it's, yeah, it's the same rods. The Imago and the Satoki would be the thing that I would, would try for that. So okay. yeah, I would say we set their expectations from the get go, you know, at certain times, Tenkara may not be the best rod for that situation. The neat thing about Tenkara rods though, uh, I often tell people at trade shows, you know, that start talking about rivers and going after a big Brown trout, for example, I tell them you are the backing, which means you don't have backing to rely on with a reel. So you right. got to be mobile. So what's that mean? Well, if you're mobile uh, and in a kayak, for example, it kind of acts as a backing mechanism right. for you. So sometimes if you've got something that's moving, like a SUP board or whatever, kayak, it, you may be able to land a little bit bigger fish. But then again, it may take you for a pretty good ride, too. But yeah, uh, set their expectations. Maybe not a great match. There are rods that are not Tenkara rods that are telescopic that people may think are Tenkara rods that are much longer. I would mm -hmm. say maybe something like that would be better if they want a fixed okay. line rod to do something really big. Okay. I will say like we had like a uh, Kirk Dieter who who did write for uh, Field, Field and Stream. 
He's written for a bunch of stuff, but but he did an article years ago on fishing for baby tarpon with the Tenkara rod, and yeah. uh, um, and and he caught some fairly large ones, and he thought they were way easier to land than some other flats fish, because a lot of flats fish will just take off and run straight away from right. you. And the same thing with trout, um, like like a place like like I live in Montana and on the Missouri, like those fish just run right away from you. So it's harder to land a big fish on Tenkara there than it is on say like the Madison, which is more pocket watery, and the fish don't like to leave their pool as much. So but because the baby tarpon jump repeatedly, like they, he actually was able to land quite a few nice ones on, on a tankara rod. And I've always thought like ladyfish would be a lot of fun if you could get into those with the tankara rod. Um, and, I, and I thought that would be cool. And, and my limited experience, and, and I'll let you correct me on this, it doesn't seem like speckled trout for the, of roughly the same size fight quite as hard as a redfish. Yeah, Maybe it's just because I haven't caught very many big ones. But yeah, it, it, it but I think those, I mean, they're probably land a fairly good size on Tenkara. I wouldn't tell you to go after a five pounder. Yeah. Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. Well, reeling back the ambitions a little bit. So what about, because I know like I, I picked up a Tenkara rod because it seemed to me looking at it just intuitively, I could look at that and wrap my head around it. Like, well, I understand mm-hmm. that I've cane pole fish. Like I get it. That's a rod. That's a line. There's a fly on the end of it. You whip right. it back and forth. Um, so I bought one to teach myself to fly fish and, uh, I, I think it's a great tool. Like if I get my wife into it, she fishes with me. I got a daughter. I, I would imagine that would be the first thing that I would grab to hand mm-hmm. to her on the local bluegill pond. So what would be your recommendations if here in a few years I go take my daughter once we get big enough that we can be around, you know, sharp hooks and stuff like that without worrying too much about it. We don't right. have to worry about her falling in the duck pond and drowning. Uh-huh. What would what would be a good rod for a beginner just to go, you know, catch a few bluegill out of their, you know, little backyard residential duck pond? We have a small adventure rod called the Honey. We call it an adventure rod because it's a little it is a little bit different than most traditional tenkar tenkar rods are a little bit more flexible, a little bit more giving. The Honey's a bit stiffer of a rod, a bit more backbone to it. And it can take a pretty good beating from kids <laughs> or mm-hmm. people that are typically a little bit more rough on items and it's a little shorter than some of our others it's a little under 11 feet you may think that's long but it's only 3.5 ounces so it weighs peanuts kids can wield it and cast out a line so and it's and it's kind of you know a cute rod in a way so i would say a hane mm-hmm. or yeah. basic iwana rod it's a 12 footer been around the block for a long time probably the one rod that really started the whole market we've had the iwana from almost day one Everybody and their mother has had one. And uh, so either one of those from my side, I went to a Girl Scout um, event where they were teaching hundreds and hundreds of Girl Scouts how to fish. And it was me and two other Tenkara friends that went there. And there were hundreds of girls coming through all day long. We were showing them how to catch bluegill. And it's amazing. I mean, lifting them out of water and the fish is flying around to (laughs) teaching them to try to keep the fish wet and all that fun stuff. So if we can teach Girl Scouts that are very young how to fish, and it was on a, a honey and a Nawana that we did it. So it was very good rod for that. I completely agree. Okay. Awesome. All righty, guys, before we move on to the final segment of the show, let's take a quick break and hear from a couple of our sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles in your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. 
They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Also brought to you by Killer Dock. Today we're going to profile another common form of dock dysfunction, dirty dock. Have you ever cleaned up a nice mess of fish and then watched your wife's face in disgust when she sees your dirty dock as a result? It's happened to all of us who are cleaning fish on old, wooden fish cleaning tables that don't slope toward the water. You need dock enhancement. Killer Dock fish cleaning stations are marine-grade aluminum coated with a ceramic finish that makes cleaning your dirty dock a cinch. The scales and slime drain directly into the water, through the legs, or through the slots. You choose the style. Check out the best fish cleaning stations known to mankind at KillerDock.com. Well, I guess two questions. One, um, I know that there are flies that are traditionally thought of as Tenkara flies, like the the different types of Kabari, you know, Sakasa Kabari is like the quintessential Tenkara fly. What can you tell me about those? And then what can you tell me about the other flies because down here guys are used to throwing like you said the clouds or minnows the bass and the saltwater guys will throw clouds or minnows um you know the bluegill guys love to throw um triangle bugs popping bugs um mm-hmm. i think talking with matt the boogle bug is is a big one for catching red-eyed bass so what would be y'all's recommendations on maybe just let's say three like just three well-rounded flies that work well with a 10 car rod and then are there any flies that don't really work well with a 10 car rod go for it john okay so so we only sell four flies so um and and they're all sakasa kabari style flies and which are all unweighted wet flies essentially and so basically those work great with Tenkara, and especially in that mountain stream environment, they sort of like, they complement each other well. There, there's things you can do with them in terms of fly manipulation. Um, so they're great. A Sakasa Kabari, that style of fly is is really wonderful to use with Tenkara. I think any unweighted wet fly can be fished effectively with it. But really any fly, any lightweight fly that you would cast normally with a regular fly rod, you can do just fine with the Tenkara rod. As far as flies that don't work well with them, it's anything real heavy. So like I mentioned using Clouser minnows on mine once, but they were real light and with real light bead chain for the eyes. Um, so, so I wasn't too worried about, they, they are more, more vulnerable to impact than, than like, cause the, the, the segments are just thinner, especially the tip segments than a traditional fly rod. So, um, so weighted and they're just not designed to throw a lot of weight. So that, that would be the only thing I would really caution you against, uh, using. So is, is like, like really heavily weighted flies, whether that's a real heavy stonefly nymph like you would fish here in Montana, or whether that's a clouser minnow with real heavy bead chain eyes, I would stay away from that. But any unweighted fly, and, and one of the things I give out, it's it's kind of what I did when I got started. I didn't know a whole lot about the flies when I got my first car rod. Um, and I, I basically fished my confidence flies, the normal trout flies that I fished anyway on my local waters. And Tinkar is a wonderful tool if it's for pocket water dry fly fishing. That's not exactly how it's always used in Japan, although they do fish dries. Um, so it, yeah, any any trout fly, any normal trout fly or, or or light warm water species, you know, light woolly buggers and stuff like that are, are just great. I just would stay away from anything real super heavily weighted. So yeah. or super wind resistant, like a big hair bug. Like that, you just that's more the limitations of the line that you use in Tinkar than the rods. So 
Yeah, I was just going to say uh, the weight was the main one, but big girthy flies that yeah. are big and air air manipulative because these lines are thin. So if you get uh, the certain lines that you'll want to cast when the wind's out, a thinner Tenkara level type of line, like a 4.5, but yeah. Let's do, so you talked about casting that that really light line and casting these really long rods so it is kind of different from what most people are used to definitely if you're coming from the world of bass fishing it's very different but even if you're fly fishing fly fishermen aren't you know casting a 12 foot something and then that little bitty i mean that that level line like when i found out that level line was basically fluorocarbon you know like you're, Mm -hmm. you're casting eight pound fluorocarbon and that's that's what you're trying to get to go somewhere that was tricky. Like I started off with a furled line, which mm-hmm. was much simpler, but you do like, once you get the hang of it, it's nice. That level line, it's a very light presentation. If you've got a little mm-hmm. teeny tiny parachute atoms or a little Griffith snat or something like that, like a size 16 or a right. size 20 hook and, and you're messing, I mess with bluegill a lot in residential ponds and people I think would actually be surprised, not surprised. Like you think a bluegill is always been ready to play ball. But when they're getting hammered every single day by everybody that drives up to that same spot on the side, they get real picky real quick. They get a little a little spooky. So it's nice. Like like once I finally started casting and getting the hang of of being able to cast and reach out there and get, you know, 20 foot off the bank and just just have the fly land. It's really effective for for bluegill in, in shallow water and I, I would imagine the same would be true for trout red-eyed bass whatever it really is i've always had a thing for ultralight fishing you know fishing two pound fluorocarbon and a freelined night crawler or whatever like i used to buy my introduction first time i ever walked into a fly shop was just to buy those little size 16 hooks to go catch bluegill out of out of the little local creeks and stuff so it kind of to me it is the ultimate in a finesse presentation, you know, to, to mimic some little bug that just got stuck in the surface tension of the water and there's nothing else. Like if you get a, if you get a good cast on it, how do you get to that point? Like, do y'all have any recommendations for a shortcut? How somebody who gets it for the first time and they walk out to the pond, what's some things to avoid and what's, what's some things to keep in mind when you cast? Yeah. So our cast is indeed similar to a Western fly fishing rod cast but shorter and more abrupt. So instead of a broad 10 to two, it's a 10 to noon, a more of a steeple cast in the Western world. And like you said, the lines are very lightweight. You don't have a line helping to load the rod. You are the one loading it with proper starts and stops. So it's very important that when you raise the rod up, that when I'm at a trade show and I'm showing somebody how to cast, I'll raise up the rod and go to noon. And I will sternly tell them, do not break past that noon. The rod will, the rod will bend back there, but you're going to be pointing straight up. We use an index finger on top purposely, and it helps maintain accuracy as well. But raise up, you know, not super fast, but fast enough to load the rod up to noon. I tell people you're going to feel the rod loading behind you, but stay straight. As soon as that load starts diminishing, you're going to go back down the 10 and stop. Do not drop the rod tip at the water, which every fly fisherman is going to do. So mm-hmm. I'll put my hand right in front of the rod and tell them to smack my hand with that rod, and they're not going to go past 10. Getting that noon the 10, they'll quickly pick up the casting stroke, and they'll understand the rod load, and then down the 10 and stop. Keep the rod at the proper angle, and that line's going to propel at its target fairly well. And also don't too, try to use too long a line. 
A rod length of line is typically appropriate for anybody for most situations. Don't mm -hmm. put too much line on where you're going to get it on the water or have a hard time casting. So proper length of line, loading up the rod, those are what I tell folks to do. And I would add, because because I I mean I used to teach Western fly casting too, and and it's much much more delicate. Um, so like Daniel used to say, cut your power in half from a regular fly cast, and then cut it in half again. Um, it's a very delicate motion, and it should feel like the line is just kind of rolling softly off the tip. If if I could, if, if there's a, a way to describe it, and like it rolls off the tip of the rod and just unrolls and finishes rolling out just a, a few inches to a foot above the target and then floats down. That's, that's the presentation that you, you want to go for. And, and one way you can a drill, you can do or a practice thing. Uh, and this is good practice with a Western rod too. If you're trying to develop delicacy is intentionally try and cast too soft with the Tinkar rod. And that can be hard to do like um, it, it, you, cause you'll find that with very, very little effort, especially if you stop like TJ's talking about with a high rod tip and just let it roll off the tip. It's very minimal effort to get the line to turn over and, and, and go to your target. I think one of the biggest problems we have in teaching Western fly fishermen to Tenkara cast is they want to use way, way too much power. And then they, they like TJ said, they want to pull the line down with the rod tip at the end of the presentation, whereas you want to leave the rod tip high and typically in Tenkara you want to leave the rod tip up high. There's there are exceptions to that, but for your basic Tenkara cast, you maintain a high rod tip through the whole cast. It's just like TJ said, you you go to here and then back to there, and the line just rolls off the tip. You maintain that high rod tip and you keep your line, your casting line off the water through the whole presentation. When it unrolls, just the tip it and a little bit of your tip it and the fly hit the water. Um, and that's that's the ideal that we're going for. Yeah, and it's been my experience compared to most any other fishing form that has a reel that putting a rod, a tenkara rod in somebody's hand that's never fished before, to move their arm and hand up and attend the noon motion, they're quickly fishing compared to trying to learn how to do all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. we can put people on the water relatively quickly with a tenkara rod and amazingly catch fish at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, and, and kind of brings up a good point. Like, I just gave you the ideal, but we know people that have plenty of success that aren't you know, you don't have to be perfect. You can go out and have fun and like you can have some success as you're, as you're progressing, you know, and I think that's a, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Yeah. I can, I can attest when I got mine, I took it and, uh, took it straight from the mailbox down to the Creek and caught a fish the first, mm -hmm. first trip, first trip I took it out, got off work, walked down, didn't have a lot of daylight left. And the first few casts, they did not look like any of the instructional videos that I've seen anybody put out or any of the guys who, uh, you know, do it over in Japan, it was not a nice, neat 10 to two. It was not a mm -hmm. nice, you know, just the fly touching down first, but, uh, I did catch fish and, and, cool. and it didn't yeah. take just a couple trips before I was, uh, you know, making more good casts than bad. Uh, right. I still have, I have my moments. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm just throwing a bachelor, sometimes I look good. And then sometimes I'm, looking around to make sure there ain't no boats nearby watching what I'm doing. So. Yeah, I think we all have those moments. So Absolutely. Well, John, TJ, I really appreciate you guys taking a second to uh, sit down with me. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to try to go catch some of them red-eye bass up there on a 10-car rod. I think it would do really well the way that they pack. I just think they would do – I think they'd be perfect for that type of environment up there, Little River Canyon and stuff like that. I think they'll do well. I'm I'm anxious to see the pictures and or video or whatever that you do with it because it sounds perfect to me too. 
Yeah, thanks yeah, for having yeah. us on. Any yeah, more thank questions you. we have down the road, let us know. John and I are easily accessible by email or call us. We're, we're always willing to chat about Tenkara anytime. Yeah, and if listeners wanted to uh, check out Tenkara USA, where's a good place to go? Yeah, our main website, www.tenkarausa.com. And we've been around for 14 years, so you'll find tons of videos, tons of information on Tenkara freely available for you to watch, view, email us, ask questions. We're here to help folks get out and fly fish in the Tenkara style, and, and hopefully in the years to come, many more do it. All right. Well, guys, you heard them. Y'all be sure to go check them out. John, TJ, appreciate you guys. Thank you very Thanks, much. Man. All righty, folks. That's going to wrap up this week's special episode on Tenkara Fishing. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314 314- 665-1767. Subscribe to the email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Crocodile Bay. Costa Rica is not just a legendary fishing and vacation destination. At Crocodile Bay, it's much more. They deliver inshore and offshore fishing expeditions to meet the highest expectations. Check them out at crocodilebay.com to book your dream trip today. And by Hayabusa. Hayabusa, extremely well-known for their premium sabiki rigs, but also don't forget their full line of saltwater hooks and jigs as well as freshwater bass hooks. See what you've been missing at hayabusafishing.com. And by Mallard Bay. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Plan trips, buy gear, go experience. Mallardbay.com. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. Also brought to you by BucksIsland.com. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs, as well as motor sales and service, and now they have a pro-level tackle store. Boat and motor trade-ins are welcome. Visit them online at BucksIsland.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator, bringing you the highest quality online satellite fishing charts since 2004. Your source for sea temps, allometry, currents, and watercolor at hiltonsoffshore.com. 